From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today. And regardless of whether you're listening live or to the archive of the show, I'm confident you'll be glad you joined us. And if you're a new listener, I should let you know that you, if you do not gain some new knowledge, at least a little bit during this hour, we have a double your money back guarantee. We'll refund double what you paid to listen. Now, quote Jay Leno, who incidentally probably lost his job on NBC late night TV due to pressure from the U.S. administration, I was going to start off today with an Obama joke, but I don't want to get audited by the IRS. Well, what Jay Leno didn't know at that time, there's a much bigger risk of offending the U.S. administration than just getting audited by the IRS. And unfortunately, I'm not joking about this. Part of the U.S. Patriot Act and the formation of Homeland Security as an additional major division in the federal government, the administration also put provisions in place to form the federal police force. Some of you may have already heard about uh, Homeland Security acquiring a billion rounds of very deadly ammunition. And of course, ammunition can all be deadly, but at the type, you know, the type where, uh, that they have requisitioned is intended to expand and tear through the target with little chance for survival. So it appears that the federal police have enough ammunition to kill each U.S. citizen, even if they miss twice. Now, as you drive around the highways in various states, you'll start to see what look like regular white and blue police cruisers. But if you look carefully, they're labeled Federal Protective Service and Police in big letters. Now, for any listeners in the U.S. who are feeling much more secure by having another police force, just look up some of their mandate, and you'll see they also have the right to arrest people without a warrant. Look out, Jay Leno. I guess I should watch out, too. Did someone mention U.S. Constitution? Then again, does anyone in Washington, D.C. still pay attention to that once fundamental document? If this is news to you, I'll remind you that your president promised an additional civilian army loyal to the president. So it appears he has kept that campaign promise. And now the IRS is only one of three groups you have to be concerned about when you offend someone in the federal government. You now have the IRS, FBI, and the federal police who will come hunting you down. Now, in the introduction to our last show, I spent several minutes complaining about the new U.S. financial regulations and banking regulations and the additional bureaucracy they're creating for U.S. citizens like me who have accounts in foreign countries. Today's show will actually be directly related to that introduction. For our regular listeners, you know this is a change from what I announced at the end of the last show, but, uh, and we also had posted, by the way, on the website a few weeks ago, we moved this show earlier since our originally planned guest schedule changed. Yes, uh, Jack Bass was able to accommodate our schedule change, so we moved this forward. And again, regular listeners will recognize his name since he's been on the show twice before. That may be a new record, by the way. During this show, we'll be focusing on offshoring operations and banking, and many listeners may feel today's topic only applies to big corporations. Well... You're wrong. And those big corporations, you think, are looking for lower labor rates somewhere else. Now, as we talk to our guests, you'll learn most people never even look into outsourcing or offshoring due to that very misconception. 
and don't count on your financial advisor or Aunt Sally to, or anyone, quite frankly, in the majority of people who have that misconception. Don't expect from them a hot tip that you could benefit from these concepts. You can't count on them if they have that same misconception. There is another good reason you should tune into this show regularly. Today is July 28, 2014. It is 9.04 a.m. in Arizona. Likewise, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, where our guest is, and 18.04 in continental Europe, where I am this week. Incidentally, it's much cooler here in Europe than in Arizona, one of the reasons I'm here. Then again, it seemed appropriate to be across the ocean and 6,000 miles away from our guest when we're talking about offshoring. How appropriate. It's the only day ever like it. We'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. Now, this show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Your local time may change, but our show time doesn't. Now, I certainly hope you can join, join us each time you, if, excuse me, let's try that again, join us each time we air. But if you miss some shows, like the ones I already mentioned, you can re-listen to them. You can find them on the archive. Just go to Wealth DNA. US, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Today, our sponsor is BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix and Scottsdale area. The U.S. equity markets, after a week with two more record highs, was off to a negative start. Asia was up pretty sharply overnight. Europe, which just ended, ended mixed, or maybe just confused. And Brazil is also down. If you haven't kept up with the number of record highs in the U.S. equity markets since the beginning of this great recession, the S&P 500 had its 71st and 72nd new highs last week. Maybe you noticed that uh, we often see new highs occurring in batches, just like last week we had two in a row. Last week was indeed a great example. After reaching a record high on Wednesday, the next day it went up less than one-tenth of a percent and still counted is another record high. So while we're in this stock market index stratosphere, don't be surprised if we don't see several more in the next few weeks, although today's market is not predicting that. Now, if you keep seeing major problems around the world and wondering how the U.S. stock market can continue to hit those new record highs, let me share a plausible explanation if you didn't think it was possible. The U.S. administration hasn't been able to agree with Congress on anything recently, and even within Congress, there doesn't seem to be much happening due to gridlock. So for the markets and investors, that's actually good news. You see, by not reaching any decisions, they don't have an opportunity to create new regulations and problems for the financial markets and for us. Now, before we bring on our guests, I'd like to make sure we clarify two terms that are similar, interrelated, and yet distinct. Hmm. I guess that statement in itself explains why the two terms might be confused. The first term is outsourcing, and the second, offshoring. When I said they're similar, you see, both of these trends started to catch on around 30 years ago, and both have been steadily increasing since. Also, both of these words are associated with a general misperception that, God, uh, that jobs are being moved to another country, and thus your home market is deteriorating. So if you took a poll of a random group of 100 people, or 1,000 would be even better, you'd likely find that the vast majority view both of these terms as negative. 
Now, when I said they're interrelated, in many of the highly publicized outsourcing projects, many jobs formerly done in developed countries like the US, Canada, or Europe have moved offshore. When I said they were distinct, many outsourcing projects are to companies within the same country, so outsourcing does not mean offshoring. Likewise, many offshoring projects, including those we'll talk about today, are not outsourced. The company who originally did the work in one country sets up operations in one or more other countries and moves some of that work there. So offshoring does not mean outsourcing. Outsourcing, by the way, is defined as contracting with an outside supplier to obtain goods or services. Notice in there, there's no implication that a supplier is in your country or elsewhere. Now, if you're wondering why bother, since there's no labor cost advantage, you need to consider some of the work that you or your company could do by yourself and choose to hire someone else to do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have time to handle landscaping, so I have a person contract to do that landscaping for me. Likewise, if I have anything but a minor plumbing or electrical problem, light bulb, for example, I hire a professional who can do it much more effectively than I. That, by the way, is outsourcing. And I guess my example starts to show that outsourcing does not only apply to large corporations. Let's take one simple example in the financial world with investing. You have essentially three alternatives. First, you can do it yourself. I refer to that as the DIY investor. Second, you can outsource it to a financial advisor or a fund company like our sponsor. Or third, you can decide to not invest at all. And yes, of course, I realize there is that fourth alternative, and that's to do a little of each including doing a little of nothing. Now, incidentally, the advantage of joining us live for the show is you get to ask questions or make comments either using the chat window below the radio player, and that is on, or you can call in. If you're listening to the archive, neither of those options will work. You can trust me. I've tested it. Our guest today for offshoring operations and banking is Jack A. Bass, who you may recall is the author of The Gold Investor's Handbook and The Apprentice Millionaire Portfolio which is still true, and we had him on to discuss investing in gold and precious metals. Jack is also the author of How to Make Real Money in Real Estate, How to Send Your Money Out to Work, both still on my reading list. He is one of Canada's foremost economists and business consultants. Jack's education includes a degree in economics and law. So let's get Jack A. Bass on to help explain offshoring and why this topic is not just for large corporations. Let's give him a warm radio welcome. Jack, I'm glad you were able to rearrange your schedule and join us today. I'm just pleased to be with you. And uh, probably enjoying a nice, cool time up in uh, Canada versus in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, where some of them are here. Well, it's about 90 above here. So we've had a warm streak following a lot of Vancouver rain. All right, well, then that's, uh, that's about what I've been hitting here in Europe as well, so that's not, not too bad. Now, even though you've been on the show a couple of times, Jack, why don't you share with some of our new listeners how you introduce yourself at a uh, cocktail party? Well, basically, my work is as a management consultant, which means I help small and medium-sized businesses do better. As part of that, I do management training and staff training, and the management training has led me to do uh, go into a new field in which I do franchise development. If you have a, a model that is working for you and you want to expand, but you probably don't have the capital to build another five stores, then I suggest the franchise model, and I help companies develop that. It's part of the work with management, 
people are focused on taxation are, are on the bottom line. And part of the bottom line, in order to get more money flowing to the bottom, is to have the most tax advantage strategies you can. And uh, that has led me to looking at and, and incorporating in my work uh, the offshore banking and offshore uh, investing. Hmm, interesting. As a matter of fact, I wasn't aware of the franchising. I've tucked that away into my uh, little folder here. Uh, before we dig into our main topic, we've had you on talking about gold before. Let me ask the same question I asked Sinclair No a few months ago. Given monthly gold production is far below monthly demand, the price of gold is still staying low. Is the gold market being manipulated? You know, the, the fact is that um, a small investor like myself, even though I, I may be knowledgeable about gold, we, I don't have the access to the banks and the international um, controls. So we can only speculate that these are being held back, that that gold price, in fact, is being manipulated. But the fact is that as an investor, what you're looking at for the present gold price, there's a war in the Middle East. There are wars in Africa. Uh, there's a printing press running in Washington, yet none of this has driven the gold price up. So you can speculate that gold is being manipulated, but on a, an investment point of view, what you have to say is that you have to cut back on your gold investments because it's just not uh, behaving the way it should type of thing. And investing for what you think should be right is not, not very practical. We just have to face the world as it is. Okay. All right, I still believe in gold in the long term, and I'm, I'm kind of sticking with a lot of my uh, investment there, but it is frustrating, to say the least, and I'm sure you have that same issue. Now, right. how about give us a definition of offshoring, and, and, and maybe also touch on a little bit how that uh, touches on the kind of the operating world, uh, the, you know, kind of the non-finance, maybe the manufacturing world, uh, versus the finance and banking world. Well, what we're looking at, um, I'm... There's very practical examples in America. When you look at the devastation that you see in Detroit, um, people say, well, we're all, the cars are still being produced, they're still being sold. Car sales are at a record in America now, uh, even though China is, is uh, a market that is larger and growing faster. But the cars aren't being produced here in America as they were uh, before. They're being produced in China. They're... I would predict that in five years you're going to have a Chinese brand in every major city. You'll, you'll see outlets for the Chinese brand, and they'll be coming in. But right now, General Motors is producing cars in Mexico and bringing them back into the United States. For 30 years under NAFTA, they've been producing cars in Canada and bringing Canadian cars into the United States, and United States cars go and fill out the Western market because it's more convenient for General Motors to ship out of its California plants to Canada and to bring in Toronto-made vehicles into the eastern United States. So these things have been happening for 30 or 40 years. It's the recession that highlights the loss of jobs, or at least the perception that jobs have gone from America somewhere else. In financing, what people have done is, is they've looked and Let's just take the biggest example, and I put one right up this morning so that our viewers, if they go to the uh, tax uh, haven guru, they can see a, a, a diagram of how Apple uh, has reduced its taxes by going into Ireland. 
having subsidiaries in Ireland, in Holland, and then uh, a bank account in the Caribbean simply to keep money out of the hands of the IRS, out of America. That raises the hackles of a lot of people. People are upset. The cover of this month's Fortune magazine is an editorial on America's loss of taxation, meaning that everyone else must pay more to offset what Apple and Starbucks have done. But I, I just don't think that's true. These are perfectly legal. They fall within the parameters of the law as it is today, and it helps companies save money and that money is just simply reinvested. Apple doesn't accumulate money for the purpose of accumulating money. It invests in research and development, and every few months you can see a new Apple innovative product coming into the market, and the same for Google and, and others. So I, I understand full well if somebody is living in Detroit, they wonder where did the jobs go, and then they get angry and upset because they're, they're offshore. They've been sent to other companies, uh, other countries rather, because there's a lower wage there. Well, in investment, money is being sent or kept out of the country because American taxes on companies and individuals are so high. But the fault is in the system. That system of high taxation doesn't benefit America. What it is is chases money outside. For my clients, when they come to me and they say, Jack, how can I save money? I don't tell them, well, I think that you should pay 35 or 39% in the United States when you can pay 12% in Holland or 0% in the Caribbean. On a practical basis, if we can reduce the company's taxation, they keep their uh, prices low, but they also keep the product prices low. The reason you have um, these, the, the price of a, an Apple iPhone made in China as low priced as it is in America is because Apple calculates in its figures it's not paying a large 35% American tax. And uh, I think we, there's a trade-off there. Yeah, I think the government somehow misses those points. Maybe they should listen to our show more often as well. But, Jack, before we dig into some of the uh, specifics, would you share with our listeners how they would contact you, learn more about how they can benefit from, uh, from offshoring? Sure. My main site is uh, www.jackbassteam, my name, jackbassteam.com. The taxation site is a a WordPress blog, taxhavenguru, G-U-R-U. And uh, if they'd like to contact me, email is info, I-N-F-O, at jackbassteam.com. And they can call me directly in Vancouver, 604-858-3202. 604-858-3202. Jake, okay, we'll make sure we repeat those at the end of the show in case somebody didn't have paper sure. and pen or uh, they didn't type fast enough. Now, we hear a lot of examples of companies shipping uh, jobs overseas to take advantage of lower labor costs. Uh, is there more, and I think you've already touched on this a little bit, but is there more to offshoring than just saving a labor cost? I can give you a practical example of two different companies that contacted me within the last two weeks. One is a large uh, drug manufacturer in the United States. What they are looking to do is is to set up an office in England to expand their European reach and possibly into Africa as well. 
So there's an example of an American company is going to get some tax advantage by locating in England, but at the same time, they're going to expand their footprint around the world. That will lead actually to more jobs in England and Africa under their, under their uh, subsidiary, but more jobs in America as the company itself expands. Secondly, a, uh, a consultant in the natural gas field um, contacted me last week, and what is, he is hoping to do is take advantage of the impetus that is happening around the world of new natural gas exports from the United States, uh, at least they're anticipating, from the United States to the world. Now, he'll create a subsidiary again in Europe or possibly in Asia, and that will lead to investment in LNG exports in the United States. So there's a win-win, uh, not only for my client, but for the United States who will now, because of the uh, shale, uh, will be able to export natural gas around the world. And most of that money comes back to the United States. Okay. Let me just take a quick break here and remind our listeners, you're tuned to the WellPNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a real estate fund in the Phoenix and Scottsdale area. Now, if you missed some of the prior shows, including the two with Jack Bass, or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on www.wealthdna.us. Now, if you didn't get an email reminder of today's show, just send, send an email to me. Ron at WealthDNA.us will keep you posted about future shows and events. And a reminder, during the show, we welcome you, our listeners. I've got to make sure I pay attention here because I haven't been watching the chat window. I was taking a look at your, your blog. But um, we do have a chat window below the radio player. You can put in some questions or uh, comments there. And also, you could call in 917-388-4162, and that is at the top of the screen as well. Now, our topic today is offshoring operations and banking, and our guest is Jack A. Bass, author and consultant, who's been helping clients take advantage of the topics we're covering during this show. Now, one of the things, Jack, in my intro, I talked about outsourcing and offshoring a little bit, uh, that with offshoring, a company or person is moving some operations overseas, but it doesn't mean that they've outsourced that work. They can t could continue to run that foreign operation themselves, correct? They can, but under the uh, tax arrangements, what often happens is that they must show that the um, institution that they created or the subsidiary they created in England or wherever, Singapore, is an actual uh, company, not just a mailbox office. So most often it's not convenient um, to send Americans to live in Singapore. It's more convenient to hire local people. Very often they'll move the senior management there, but then hire locals as well. But every time that they increase their uh, footprint or, or their economic well-being, it means more jobs are being created in America. Now, fair point. As a matter of fact, that was one of the drivers of why I ended up in, in uh, what was at that time Eastern Europe or Central Europe uh, was because of uh, exactly that type of situation, um, acquiring a foreign operation. And I was sent over to uh, to be the financial guy for it. But anyway, we won't get into that today. Now, all the other thing is, as I mentioned, outsourcing and offshoring are somewhat related, but their difference is your focus is on offshoring. You're not involved uh, directly in outsourcing, correct? 
That's correct. Most of my advice uh, to management is focused on the topic that we're discussing is how can they save tax dollars by basing some of their um, intellectual property operations or whatever outside of the United States. Remembering also that one of the, the problems that they face is if they have an office earning money in Holland or the Caribbean, that money cannot come back to the United States at a low tax rate. Uh, in order to keep it at a low tax rate, they have to leave the money offshore. So you have the example most recently of Apple buying back its shares in the United States and having to get bank loans to do so, even though they have tens of millions, if not billions of dollars offshore. They don't want to bring that money back because it will be taxed at the higher American rate, which defeats the whole idea of, of having their subsidiaries uh, in other countries. And, you know, I hadn't thought about it as we prepared for the show, but I guess you both your uh, economics and uh, legal background seem to start to fit into this whole thing. I completely forgot about that legal aspect to your background, so I don't definitely understand why uh, this is something that people are turning to you for. Now, on our last show, I spent several minutes at the beginning especially complaining about the new U.S. US financial regulations, how they're adding bureaucracies for, for individuals and businesses with foreign accounts. Now, does that regulation make it less likely individuals and companies will consider offshoring? It, it, it has a, a chilling effect. Uh, when I tell, and I, I, I'll give another practical example, um, about a month or maybe two months ago now, a fellow called me and he has been having, um, or he has an offshore account, uh, and he's had it for the last 10 or 12 years and not reported it to the U.S. government. He now has just, I would say, 800 to $900,000 in a bank, which has now informed him that they want him to take the money back or move it to another account. They, they want to close it out. They don't want to run a, a fall of the U.S. laws. The new laws force banks uh, to disclose who are the beneficial owners of uh, individual accounts. There is... Um, that is costing banks so much money that they're telling their American clients, even if they're, they're compliant with all the laws, they're telling American clients, we're closing your accounts because we just don't want the time and trouble to set up our, our uh, regulations to comply with the uh, FACTA or, or FIBOR, the, where they're forced to report to the United States. So a lot of Americans now who have been uh, having offshore accounts both that they reported and, and some that have been uh, saving money uh, without reporting or in a great deal of trouble. And as a lawyer, let me, let me tell you something. When you're facing the might of the American <laughs> IRS, which virtually has unlimited resources of uh, human power and money and time, it is an unequal fight. So um, that client that I just mentioned to you is negotiating uh, a payment, and the payment may, in his fear, is the penalties are as high as 50% of the total uh, account. That is, the money that he originally set aside plus the growth, he will lose up to 50%. Uh, he's trying to negotiate something a little bit better than that. Um, but the, these uh, resources of yourself versus Uncle Sam is an unfair fight, 
and, and we're, we're witnessing that almost on a daily basis. So in setting up new accounts, new companies, new subsidiaries, you want to be very careful to make sure you're on side, and you want to be working with an institution and advisors who understand what they're facing. Yeah, especially if the IRS representative brings the uh, uh, federal police along with them. Uh, that, that definitely does put a chilling effect on everything. So no, I agree with you. I like that word, chilling effect. Uh, definitely bureaucracy does not uh, help those things. But now let me just look at the flip side. As you already mentioned, the U.S. has the highest corporate tax rate on the planet. So I assume that is a major driver for at least companies to and corporations to take a look at offshoring, uh, maybe more than some of the individuals who, who would uh, see some of those bureaucracies as a stumbling block. Well, it, it works. Uh, it works well for individuals to locate uh, in other countries. Um, and again, most recently, we've seen that. Americans can go to Puerto Rico, retain their American citizenship, but if they are a resident there for six months plus one day, they get a 20-year tax break. They get, I think, the maximum uh, tax in Puerto Rico for people locating there is 4%. So there's a big incentive for you, and in fact, a record number of Americans, not, not only moving to Puerto Rico, but a record number of Americans are... Uh, resigning their American citizenship and it's over taxation. That's a pretty sad story. On individuals, there are still tax savings to be had and they, there's, there are lots of trusts being set up. People are concerned not only about saving tax, they're concerned about privacy. It may be that you've had a divorce situation or you're having lawsuits or the threat of lawsuits and so you're seeking privacy plus you're seeking security and that can be gained by moving your assets offshore so uh, we can I mean uh, divorce rates are extremely high uh, the penalties are very great and so a lot of people are, are saying to themselves if I'm facing that situation what I'm going to do is move my assets and uh, in some cases it's hiding their assets in other cases, they're just anticipating problems in the future, and they're setting that up in advance. Others are, are saying, you know, for the generation that follows for my children, I'm going to start programs and create foundations or trusts so that the growth there is in assets uh, that are not U.S. denominated, and I'm going to place those in secure locations where my children can have access, but the IRS cannot or my creditors cannot. So there's a whole variety of reasons for people moving. It's not just tax savings. The primary force, though, behind companies moving is tax saving. It just, it, it, it's just um, plain as the nose on your face. If it's 35% in America and 12% in the U.K. or 6% in the Caribbean, you, if you can, you move to where you save money. Fair point. Are, are you familiar with, uh, you mentioned Puerto Rico, which that one really surprised me. Are, are you familiar with how some of the other countries compare on the, on the personal tax rates between, let's say, U.S. and Canada versus uh, countries in, in Europe or uh, elsewhere? Uh, you know, how, how do those compare? And, uh, you know, are, are, are some of those attractive or is it really pretty much these uh, more places? Uh, well, I, I can tell you that there are a few countries um, uh, I think for Americans, the easiest step is uh, what is closest to their coast. So you're looking at Belize, 
which is almost a zero taxation base. You're looking at the Caribbeans, like the British Virgin Islands, which is almost at a zero tax base. These small countries, the Caymans, the the BVIs, are looking, or Nevis and St. Kitts is another example that I'm very familiar with. They are actually, or were impoverished nations. And what they they found out is that if they created a tax haven for Americans, as well as other people, but focusing on America, they could create tons of legal jobs, accounting work, office work, as they became uh, noted as tax havens. So if you go to uh, the Bridge of Virgin Islands today, they have thousands of jobs in the financial sector simply to look after Americans and others who have located their corporations or their personal accounts there. So we've helped, if you want, lift these uh, Caribbean nations. Also, and, and again, a, a practical example, a fellow that called me just last week said he wanted to locate in the Bahamas, he says, because I want to be able to go over there, see and touch my money. Now, there's another, uh, if, if you have a moment, uh, have you heard of the Cook Islands? The, the Cook yeah. Islands are a remote location, in, and they do not comply with the IRS. So what happens is that, unfortunately, the Cook Islands is getting a reputation as the Crook Islands because every big crook, uh, like Mark Reich, R-I-C-H, who was pardoned by Bill Clinton, he had located his money in the Cook Islands because they will not cooperate with the IRS. And so uh, for people who, like uh, many medical doctors, have located their accounts in the Cook Islands in order to insulate themselves from the big medical uh, malpractice lawsuits. So it's quite a popular location. But others, as I said, the fellow that, that just called me the, the last week, uh, he wants to be, have access more easily. You can fly from uh, New York uh, down to Florida and then into the Bahamas, sit on the beach, and then stroll into town and pick up your money. So for a lot of people, that's very convenient, and there's the tax savings at the same time. Yeah, Sir John Templeton was probably one of the pioneers, well, was one of the pioneers, clearly, in the investment fund world. Sounds like he was a pioneer in the whole uh, offshore. Uh, he moved to the Bahamas many, many years. Uh, well, it, and, Exactly. Uh, he moved, he lived there, and his Templeton funds on their worldwide income were located offshore. So there's an example, and, he, and he was, I don't think he was criticized for it, because of what he was trying to do is return the highest investment for his fund holders. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah, no, as a matter of fact, one of the uh, largest uh, non-bank uh, mortgage uh, processing and, and, and mortgage holding uh, is actually based in one of the um, islands as well. So it's not, it is a growing trend, and someday in the future we'll have a show on uh, my returning to the U.S. as a tax refugee, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of those tax rates and those kinds of things. Now, you've been working with, as you mentioned, more companies and investors on these uh, whole uh, offshoring uh, projects. Give us, give us some examples of some of those project objectives. Clearly, uh, reduce my costs and reduce my taxes is one. What are some of the other objectives? Well, if you are looking at expanding your company into Europe, um, you're, you're much better off if you're uh, 5,000 miles closer than you are calling from New York. There's still, and, and uh, I know Americans don't like to hear this, but they, they see it in the press, there's still an anti-Americanism um, 
um, alive and vibrant in some companies, countries like France, or elements. I don't want to say all of, all of the all of France is anti-American. That is not true. But um, if you locate an office in France, then you're seen as, as local, or at least you're seeing that you're making some effort to integrate yourself into Europe, not just withdraw money from Europe. So that's a, that is a major factor. People want to um, say that they're identified with the local economy. They hire local people, even though there are American managers or Americans in, in senior positions, and major decisions are still made back in the United States. But that's, that's an, um, that is one factor. Secondly, American growth has slowed down considerably, but other countries, if, they're, if you're not present in Europe, then it's a green field for you. There's, there's, a, there's 100 million people who may buy your widgets. So rather than simply ignoring that and saying, well, we're, we're running flat out in America, they can say, you know, our, our growth has, has um, stalemated, or sta- at least grown stagnant. We're growing at 1% or 2% a year. But our growth, we think that we can introduce our products, our services into Europe, into Africa, a fast-growing market with more and more people coming up to the middle class. And again, China is the outstanding example, and India as well. Tens of millions of people moving out of poverty into the middle class. And what do they do? The first thing they buy when, when they achieve some income, refrigerators, televisions, stoves, cars and america builds that and in order to build it you've got to be there the chinese people will like to buy your big detroit engine but they're more inclined to say you know we want a car that's built in china even though it's a it's a general motors partnership and so you're almost forced in order to get the growth of those type of of uh, areas is you're forced to go to those companies and set up shop in those companies. C- countries, I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, fair enough. And it sounds like then uh, once companies looked at those various factors, uh, part of your role is to, to, to help them kind of fold in the tax and currency impacts uh, of making those decisions. That's right. To get the best advantage of, of the growth, but the best advantage of low cost on our tax savings, tax reduction. Okay. Tell us about your blog, The Tax Haven Guru. And I did, of course, jump over there, as, as uh, you had suggested earlier, uh, and you indeed have added some things since I last looked at it. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about the objective behind that and what kinds of things uh, folks will find on that blog. Okay. What, I, what I'm hoping to do is give a broad um, series of, of um, columns that give the basics of all the taxation fields that people are interested in. So certainly in, in 600 words, I can't give you uh, your MBA in tax savings. But today, for example, knowing I was coming on the show, what I thought I would do is add a little bit on offshore in investment, offshore taxation, with the example of, of Apple, how it saves uh, tens of billions of dollars. And right there, what I've got is a, uh, a diagram. Now, even the diagram isn't that um, easy to follow. You have to do the reading, uh, go onto the site. I have a number of articles on FACTA, a number of articles on how American companies are saving 
money through that taxation. But I try to give a lot to the individual because I think that that's, that's something that is, is really missing. Um, and if you've read a number of my articles, I've, I've put down at the end of it, this is the way Apple is saving money. Why aren't you? And uh, unless if you're working for um, an employer and all of your income is coming from a salary and, and uh, taxes are deducted at source, there really isn't much, in, much that I can do for you. But if you're an investor and you have investment monies or you're a small and medium-sized business, then you've got to do what's best for yourself. You've got to at least look at these options, even if it's... After you look at it, you say, well, this is not for me. At least explore the options. Don't uh, cover over your eyes and your ears and just hope that it goes away. Um, You're facing in business uh, other competitors who are taking advantage of this. Their lower taxation allows them uh, a competitive advantage. You want to seek the, the greatest advantages you can to move yourself, your company forward. And I've tried to put on there over the last year or two uh, many, many different articles. And then, uh, of course, and this is obviously open to your folks. We've given them the email address. If they have particular questions, there's no charge for an inquiry. Write to me. Tell me what it is you're interested in, and I'll try to answer as best I can for you. But on that site, tax. Haven Guru, there's a, a great number of articles, about 100 articles, different things dealing with taxation, how to save money, how other companies are saving money, and then you look how it applies to you. And if I, I can assist you, I'd be very, very happy to do so. Okay, and we will talk about a few of those in just a second, but this might be a good time to uh, tell our listeners who just tuned in. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you missed the earlier part of the show, and listen to the earlier portion and the entire show from the archive. If you miss prior shows, same story. You'll find the archive on www.wealthdna.us. Today, our special guest is Jack A. Bass. Our topic today is offshoring operations and banking, and Jack has been helping clients take advantage of the topics in this show. Now, Jack, one of the one of the topics you you mentioned in your blog is asset protection, which happened to be the topic of our last show. How could I take advantage of offshore accounts or offshore companies to get additional asset protection? What you want to do is to take and move some of your assets into jurisdictions that aren't attackable by either the IRS or by your ex-wife or by uh, people that you might uh, have uh, legal issues with so that um, you could move. Uh, we mentioned the Cook Islands is an outstanding example. But if you move your account to Nevis, I can tell you that unless, uh, well, maybe I, I should back up a little bit. You would incorporate a company. Now, the company, instead of being your name, would be ABC Metal Recycling. And the listed directors would be nominees, people who work for the law office that we use in Nevis. So somebody researching you will not find you. Your name doesn't appear on any public documents. Your name doesn't appear as a director when they search who is the director. Your name as the beneficial owner is known to the bank, but none of your creditors. So effectively, you removed that access. 
And that's the, one of the outstanding things and one of the reasons people do move offshore. It's anonymity. Secondly, um, and, uh, and uh, this is a, a more practical, maybe you mentioned that you're in Poland now. Well, if you have a Polish relative, um, someone that you entrust, you can move your assets into Poland in their name. And again, it's, it's away from your creditors, your ex-wife or whoever else might be following you. But when we have a nominee corporation in Nevis or the Caymans or British Virgin Islands or Belize, you have full control of the company, you have full control of the assets, but your creditors cannot find that. And that's what people are searching for. They want to put it outside. There is other aspects that may be more technically minded than we want to go into here, but you can create trusts offshore for your family members. So that if you have um, family members either below the age of 18 or above that you want to grow assets for before they actually get control of those assets, you can place them offshore. Again, it's anonymous. Uh, from the point of view of creditors, but they can grow their assets there, and then in, in due time when you hand them over, they, they take over control. But at this time, you're growing them, but you have full control. Uh, trust, I, I want to mention this, that if you place money into trust in a foreign company, you're still responsible for reporting that trust income on your taxes. So you don't escape the tax man, but you can help escape your creditors. Okay, actually, you just gave me a good, good uh, potential solution for uh, the shares I own in BI Solutions Corp. Uh, it's one of the risks is uh, if somebody did come after me personally for some crazy uh, lawsuit, people can come up with almost anything, uh, they could... Uh, come up with uh, you know a fairly strong uh, influence on, on the corporation. So by getting that into a foreign uh, trust, that might be one of the solutions rather than uh, restructuring the company in some ways. So interesting, interesting. And unfortunately, uh, today's society is quite litigious. People sue you at the drop of the hat. There is. Um, I used to work for a very large corporation in uh, Canada, and often we settled lawsuits on the basis that they didn't have any merit but we didn't want to spend the time and the trouble defending small uh, losses, so we paid people off. Well, you don't want to be in, you know, that is a terrible position to be in. So protect yourself in advance and avoid that. Exactly. Now, one of the reasons I asked you that question and why we had Ike Debji on the uh, last uh, last program, very, very important topic, and, and uh, you know, going after, uh, you know, it, it, this whole legal issue, and it's going to get worse as, as uh, you know, we have economic dips. People look for ways to, for, to get money for sure. Now, the other is obviously uh, reducing taxes legally. Uh, how would I take advantage of them to reduce taxes? Uh, the example we talked about wouldn't have been tax-focused, but uh, if I did want to reduce my taxes, uh, how would I do that? Move some of my assets to some of those lower tax jurisdictions? Yes. Your, uh, what you want to look at, uh, it, de it depends on what your goals are. For some people, privacy is more important, so they establish, what I, as I said, a, a corporation with nominee directors. If privacy isn't a concern, you can open up an account in your own name in any tax haven. Uh, and one of the things that you should look at, and this is it depends on the, the level of, of income that you have, uh, because these are often several 
factors working together, privacy, concern of, about protecting your assets, concern about taxation, where you might consider, uh, even though you're an American, becoming a non-resident American and, and living in one of these other, other countries, establishing residence there. For some, uh, for the very, very wealthy, uh, Puerto Rico is, a, is becoming a very good option. But Puerto Rico is not a, uh, a safe community as such. You, you'll live behind a gated wall. And for a lot of people, uh, they're not familiar with the, the countries. Um, some of them, like Panama, you have to be very careful who you're dealing with, uh, not from the point of view of safety, simply from the point of view that they can't speak English. So you're, you're trying to convey something, and unless you speak perfect Spanish, you may not have your goals accomplished. So that's very important. But I want to emphasize, Ron, just what you brought up. The average person can save money by moving their assets offshore or establishing accounts offshore. And this is perfectly legal. It's all within the IRS code. And there's one more thing that we should, for small businesses, there's a, an aspect called re-invoicing. And if we have a minute, I'll, I'll tell you. Let's say that you are uh, a T-shirt manufacturer, and you bring in shirts from China at, you buy it in China at a dollar, and you sell it in America at $10. You emblazon it with um, my logo or, or, or whatever it is, or a clever saying, and you're, you pay tax on the $9, the difference between what you paid in China and what you, sale, you sold it for. Well, there is a provision in the IRS for re-invoicing. So what my clients do is they set up an office. There's a, actually, they don't set up an office. There are offices set up to do this. The T-shirts are bought in China, and on paper, they're bought in Belize at $3. That $2 difference stays in Belize. They're resold in America no longer at $1, but at $3. And so the American company pays the difference now $7 instead of previously they were paying on 9 And people hear this and they say, well, that can't, how can that be? It's such a simple thing. But that is perfectly legitimate. And a large number of exporters and importers are following that. So they import into Belize or another country, and they export sometimes back to the Caymans and then into America. And at each step, the increase in price stays out of the United States and in a low-tax jurisdiction. And so the company gains from that low tax. And so you can see there that you don't necessarily have to be a Google to make money from that. Any small importer and exporter can save tax dollars. The very important thing is that they cannot bring that extra profit back into the United States because when it's brought back to the United States, it goes back at U.S. tax rates. So that's why Google and Starbucks and Apple build up their treasure chests offshore. Okay. Fair enough. And uh, with this exception of maybe re-invoicing, it sounds like a special situation, but uh, I mentioned the additional bureaucracy. Uh, could this also raise red flags with the IRS or Canada's Revenue Agency or other uh, taxing authorities uh, in other countries? Well, well, 
everything I've described to you is perfectly legitimate. But it is true if you um, show yet you have ex, uh, you have exports in other countries, they'll be looking for that to see that you are paying your taxes or reporting it. And this is why for people who are evading taxes, they locate with nominee directors or in other people's names, and they're not reporting. So there is a difference there. Tax evasion, um, people now are having to, to face a, a great uh, dilemma because there, there's less and less um, scope for them to evade taxes. They're, the IRS, uh, through FACTA, has got a great deal of power to see into your accounts. But when I contacted um, pay, uh, banks in Belize, banks in Nevis, the only documents that they show on uh, these are when the IRS can prove to them that there is litigation against you as a person in the United States. For, so if the IRS is investigating you and they filed court documents, they show the court documents to the bank in Nevis or the bank in the Caymans, and then the bank will show them the documents uh, or will show them that, yes, Ron has an account here with us. But if they don't have that, if you don't have litigation against you, they don't have carte blanche to, just to, to say, show us all the names of all the Americans that are, that are beneficial owners of uh, shares in, your, in, in any company that is dealing with you. So uh, people forget that um, the, the basic input is a listing of names. And if your name doesn't show up, uh, it's still difficult for the IRS to find you. So there are uh, ways that individuals can avoid taxes, but uh, there's a great deal of pressure on these banks to disclose, disclose, but they won't disclose unless there's actual litigation against you. Exactly. No, and we wouldn't advocate tax evasion. I think what we're really looking for is, is as you said, legitimate. No, no, we don't want to see any of our listeners uh, in the who's gal there. <laughs> Oh, exactly. No, we wouldn't, we wouldn't advocate that. Don't believe in it. Uh, now, in your blog, you use a term, um, uh, the first one I saw was uh, double Dutch, and of course now in your Apple example you talk about uh, double Irish. Now, I assume double Dutch has nothing to do with how we split the lunch bill, or double Irish has nothing to do with how we That's right. Uh, Ron, one, one day we will have uh, a lunch together and we'll go Dutch, but uh, what it is basically is it's a, it's a method that Apple was the uh, innovator of. And what they did is they created um, a subsidiary in Ireland and they transferred their um, some of their propri proprietary information and licensing to the Irish subsidiary. Now just to, to make it as simple as possible, what they do is the Irish subsidiary then for every uh, Apple iPhone in the world that's sold, that Irish subsidiary collects a licensing of $10, let's say, just on a practical example. Well, that amounts to $100 million a year. The Irish subsidiary then, uh, because it's not making iPhones in Ireland, sends the $100 million to a, another uh, Irish subsidiary, which pays out a a dividend or a royalty payment to a Irish, uh, I'm sorry, to a Holland company. Apple has a Holland subsidiary, and that is then pays taxes at the Holland rate for a non-resident company, and that's 10 or 12 percent. So instead of 
Apple paying on $10 on every iPhone, 35% to the IRS, it pays 12%, a difference of, of almost uh, two-thirds to Holland. It then uh, sends the money after paying the taxes in Holland to Caymans, where it's tax-free and is accumulating now tax-free. Caymans doesn't charge them any taxes because they are non-resident, not doing business in the Caymans. So that, uh, because it started in Ireland, was known as the double Irish. It's also known as double Dutch. It's also known as the Dutch sandwich because you have, you have Holland in the middle between two Irish subsidiaries. So that appears to be like a sandwich. Now, okay. that requires really a lot of money. You, you have to have enough initially to set up three different uh, corporations, two in Ireland, one in Holland, and a bank account in the Cayman. So um, that is only open to companies that are having very large income streams that they want to protect year after year after year. On an individual basis, it's not worth doing that if, if it's a one-shot deal or, or you're just dealing with a few thousand dollars. So there is a cutoff uh, line. Uh, uh, smaller companies can't use that. It's impractical. Board meetings then in Ireland or Netherlands, and they just put the bill from there, so that way the money doesn't come back. So it sounds sounds like good uh, good idea. Uh, I, I need to uh, to understand that one a little bit more. But no, I hadn't heard that term before. And I think your diagram, by the way, and I am looking at them as we talk about this on the uh, Tax Haven Guru uh, blog. So uh, I, you know, I happen to be looking at that as we talk. So if somebody was not when they Google. Uh, or Bing or Yahoo or whatever they do there, uh, or ask uh, their computer, then uh, they'll find that. And, and a great example of the uh, the double Irish uh, with uh, the Dutch sandwich. I like that. Um, good. No, good. Good example. Now, one of the things we didn't talk about. There have to be some key disadvantages of offshoring uh, besides the bureaucracy. I complained about. What are those disadvantages? Well, everything that we've talked about, when you create a, a company in Ireland or Holland or the Cayman Islands, there's the setup costs, there's dealing with nominees, and the nominees, every time you issue an instruction, you send it by courier, and they send it back by courier. So there's a, there's a great deal of paperwork that has to be done. There is additional levels of payments that you pay to fellows like me, consultants to help you set it up. You have lawyers and you have accountants. Um, so that, that is a, uh, a bureaucracy. It's not only at setup, but each year when you maintain uh, bank accounts in another country, you pay to have the bank account kept current. You pay filing fees, and usually the filing fees are about 1000 or $1,500 per account. So you have an ongoing charges. And, and um, I think you mentioned to me privately one time that the amount of reporting is such that generally you can't do it yourself. The IRS is bringing down more and more regulations that require expertise at completing um, your reporting. And the fines for not reporting are very serious, so you have to take care of that. Um, finally, uh, I, can, I, I want to mention this too. On, we're talking about tax avoidance, just trying to be as low as you can, or privacy considerations. The clients that I've had uh, in my law practice and in this tax field, the ones that got caught uh, up 
and, and uh, had their privacy schemes and, and all of this go awry were the ones that bragged about how much money they were saving. And that goes not only for small guys, but Starbucks in England publicized in their annual reports for Starbucks that they were making hundreds of millions of dollars in England and not paying taxes. And the result of that was such an explosion in negative uh, against them and people uh, in the uh, in the House of Commons speaking against them, that Starbucks reversed its position and voluntarily now has increased its taxes by something like $200 million a year. So it's very important that if you want to keep these uh, um, tax avoidance schemes working for you, that you're able to keep quiet about what you're doing. I, I emphasize that. Perfectly legal, but don't go around telling your neighbor what you're doing because your neighbor will report you to the IRS. Then they start investigating you. It's a very long and expensive process. They have all the time and resources in the world, and that's why small uh, individuals often capitulate, even in large firms, because they can't stand the pressure uh, and, and the stress of year-long investigations. Fair said. Uh, fair fair uh, statement. And also the IRS, of course, doesn't have to keep its records, but uh, American citizens do. Uh, but we won't get into the political side of things. Jack, remind our listeners how they contact you, uh, your, your, both your website as well as the uh, blog, and of course your email phone number. The, the main website is www.jackbassteam, two fish, jackbassteam.com. Uh, my email is info, I-N-F-O, at jackbassteam.com. And people are free to call me at 604-858-3202. Remember, that's the uh, West Coast time. And if you like, uh, certainly uh, take a look at Tax Haven Guru. If there's any articles that aren't clear to you, I'd be happy to clarify them. Okay. Now, we've covered a lot of aspects. Hopefully, our listeners now realize that uh, when they hear about outsourcing and offshoring, that they're not all bad, that there are you know, a lot of benefits in doing them uh, while we live in this global village with uh, varying tax rates, uh, various uh, levels of, uh, of uh, asset protection, those kinds of things. What are some aspects you'd like to either emphasize or maybe add that we didn't have time? Well, what I, what I would want you to do is read the blog to get some information or at least a base of information for yourself. I think that's very important. I think what we've seen in the past uh, was that um, there were certain schemes that now the IRS or, or the federal government is going after. So I see a future where there are more and more regulations. But at the same time, every time there's a regulation, there is an offset for creating a trust offshore, looking at offshore residences, looking at uh, the, the new innovative ideas like invoice repricing that I mentioned to you. And there is um, a wealth of ideas that you can use for yourself. And what I emphasize is that it's the responsibility of every individual and every company to do as much as they can to pay the minimum ta tax. It, it is your own responsibility for your own future. You have to take that in your hands, 
learn what you can, or come to someone like myself and get some expert advice in order to maximize your own potential for your company and for yourself and for your family. Good point. Jack, thank you for joining us today, and it's always good to have you on the show, and most importantly, I always learn a lot, so I appreciate that. Okay, and, and you mentioned uh, if anyone's interested in franchising, uh, either we'll do another show or I'd be glad to answer the email on that as well. So that is definitely a topic we will need to talk about in the future. Appreciate that. Okay, thank you, All right. Jack. You take care. Bye-bye. All right. You, all right. Now, hopefully the similarities into relationships and differences between outsourcing and offshoring are, are, offshoring are clear now, especially if they weren't earlier. Now, I also hopefully, uh, hopefully you now see some of the uh, uh, benefits of offshoring and outsourcing that uh, you as a shareholder and an investor are uh, gaining, so it's not all bad news. Now, I'd like to just briefly share my current dealings with uh, both concepts. BI Solutions Corp., our sponsor today, is an outsourcing relationship, which is rare, if not unique. You see, they don't have any fixed costs for either their fund management, staff, administration, or marketing, which would have to be paid by the investors. An outsourcing contract, which is based on a percentage of profits. So during the early years and during the Great Recession, the outsourced service provider received very little for the required work, and any marketing that they did was at their own expense. The incentive for effective marketing and improving uh, BI Solutions Corp's profit is shared by both the fund and the outsourced service provider. I mentioned this outsourcing contact uh, may be unique. Could you imagine how much better your investment results would have been during the Great Recession if every company where you're a shareholder in a similar arrangement with the executives and staff? Rather than getting a huge bonus, the management team would have been paying the company during those years with losses. As I've mentioned, I personally have a number of foreign accounts in a variety of currencies and have several accounts at an offshore financial institution as well. So yes, I do agree that both outsourcing and offshoring can be beneficial for individuals as well as small companies. Now, as we prepare this show, I thought back to the early 1980s when a colleague of mine at another major company in Philadelphia where I was based shared his plans to start a company in India to provide IT services to U.S. companies. Now keep in mind, 1980s. So since he was born and educated in India, he knew far more about the level of education median wages there, and he foresaw an opportunity to capitalize on both of those. He certainly was correct. Now, with hindsight, which is always 2020, that conversation was a Kairos moment in my life when I failed to grasp and therefore did not pursue his venture. If he indeed followed through on this path and his plans, he probably retired long ago after forming a multi-billion dollar outsourcing company in India. That Kairos moment also reminds me that we need to do a show on the Kairos moments in my life and in yours. Let me share one more key point related to outsourcing. As I mentioned, the general perception in the U.S. and other developed markets is outsourcing is a net negative for their economy. If you're a shareholder in Accenture, IBM, VPro, which is based in India, by the way, ACS, Sodexo, Colliers International, CSE, Infosys Technologies, another one started in India, or a long list of other companies, then you may be benefiting from outsourcing more than you're negatively impacted. You see, the companies I mentioned are the top eight outsourcing providers in the world. Hopefully that's one of the many facts you learned today that changes the negative perception of outsourcing and offshoring you may have had before. 
Now, regular listeners of Wealth Media Radio Show know that our goal here is to help a million people become millionaires. So one of the best ways to increase your wealth, tune into the show twice a month. We'll share the investment fundamentals, some great ideas, and help diversify and grow your portfolio, whether in your own country or elsewhere in this global village. Many thanks to BI Solutions Corp. for sponsoring today's show. They're a residential real estate fund based in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. And as you now know, their investors are direct beneficiaries of outsourcing. The next Wealth DNA Radio Show will be the second Monday of August, Monday, August 11th, 9 a.m. Arizona time, same place, same time. Our guest will be Robert Sherrar, another returning guest, and we'll be venturing even further offshore for the vast majority of our listeners. We'll be talking about a place that was mentioned twice during this show, investing in Africa. And don't worry, we won't be sending you any offers from multimillionaires in Nigeria looking to invest their funds in your country. As usual, we provide the lineup of guests and topics on www.wealthdna.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. Now, if you have some comments, suggestions, additional questions on today's topic, or if you haven't received emails reminding you about this show, send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing, whether in your country or offshore. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.